Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. Funny, isn't it? We, we, we've done this for quite a while now. We must be mm. 60, 70 episodes in, something like that. Um, that recording with Sharon just blew me away. I tell you what, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, you do have a misconception about hypnotism mm. that it is you're going to eat onions as apples and yeah. cut like a chicken. And yeah, like I mean, it's under the, it's under the heading of sort of dental hypnosis, but that creativity um that she wanted to apply in a different mm. way uh, I, th- I think it's absolutely fascinating i think it's gonna really uh, open people's minds to the potential yeah. of hypnosis and uh, dentistry i say for me i think it's one of those ones of you know whoever listens the next thing they should probably do is definitely go and watch her on her youtube or contact to understand that how they can make not only it easier for their patients but easier for themselves mm. Mm. I thought it was brilliant. But really also I was, I was fascinated around how much acceptance there's been in the UK of mm. it compared to, um, you know, other places across the world, yeah. Europe um, and, and, and other countries. But and, and I think finally I'll just say, and uh, I'm going to use this phrase, which will surprise people, the hypnotising a dog. Now, if that's not a soundbite to make you sound <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it was. It was a great conversation today. So Welcome to our latest episode of Dentology. How are you doing, Chris? You well? I'm very good, very good. Can't wait, can't wait. This will be an interesting one. Well, they're all interesting, but this is like a bit different, actually. I think this is going to be a bit different, this one. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good, it's going to be good. No pressure, Sharon. No, so today we are joined by Saren Wackerch, who's a hypnotherapist, uh, founder and director of Academy of Hypnosis, and the co-founder of the renowned Institute of Hypnotherapy for Medical and Dental Practice, I-H-M-D-P. Welcome, Sharon. I, I probably made a bit of a hatchet job of your I was, surname. I was impressed on your surname. I'm not too sure Sharon was impressed on your surname pronunciation. How do you pronounce your surname? Exactly as it's spelled, actually. So it's Wax Kirsch. Wax oh, Kirsch. You, you did oh. Wax Kirsch, yeah. Wax Kirsch. That's good. <laughs> where is, where well. is that from? Mm, Origins of that one. Possibly Prussia, Russia, Germany, somewhere. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. okay. There's not many of us in the world. No, 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 I've never I've, heard I've, of I've never so heard you, of a if wax you, curse. If you ever need to find a wax curse, it's me or my very close family, my brother, wow. my sister-in-law, my nephew, niece, and mother. That's about it. Oh, wow. so, it, so I imagine if ever a wax curse comes on your radar of some sort, they're probably related. They're most definitely related. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Curse, isn't that a spirit? I think it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's probably something to do with that. I think. Maybe you could like a distiller of spirits in the past. Yeah, well, I could do. As opposed to a consumer. Yeah, it could <laughs> be. Who knows? Who knows? Just thinking, it's Kirsch, isn't it? It's like um. Well, Kirsch, Kirsch usually is cherry, but um, wax in German is Wachsen, and Wax is worker. So it could be cherry picker Ooh, or something like that. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That's nice. There we go. That's quite sweet. Yeah, anyway, there we go. Anyway, we've done, sorry, the, we've done the genealogy. We sort of drifted <laughs> off on a, on a weird old tangent there. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <you're having> <laughs> exactly. This is the podcast of unusual surnames. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be about the business of dentistry, but not anymore. 
and today. <laughs> so anyway, back getting back on topic, uh, we're both London born and bred. Um, I understand that's where you lived until 2016. You then moved to Indiana to be with your husband, who is a professor at Purdue University. So before we get to kind of that that part and your professional life, just to give some kind of context, you know, what was life growing up for you like? What were the things that shaped you as a child to the person you are today? Oh, that's a great question. Um, things that shaped me as a child. Uh, challenges of childhood, I guess. Um, family issues and, and moving out of the... Uh, and school, I hated school, I have to say. I was going to say, was school an impactful one? On Dreadful you? experience. Um, yeah, I hated that. I was much more artistic. So, you know, mm. I was in the wrong place. You know, the school system wasn't set up for people who are really into the arts. And I mm. really loved I, I, I think I, that's still the case. I think the school mm. system, uh, uh, yeah, it works for the people that sit right in the middle. And if you're one way or the other, I think it can be quite challenging. I agree. I agree. And I really was, you know, for me, it was all about art. And I just loved drawing, drawing, drawing. So I went to art school. Um, as soon as I could, literally at 15 years old, I'd got into the Camden Arts Centre and oh. um, it was fantastic. I was the youngest person there. The oldest person was in his 90s and it was just tremendous. At the time, I couldn't get into um, a foundation because I was too young, but this was a pre-foundation. So it was a fantastic experience. And uh, that was that was me. Once I was on the art, this art scene, I was happy as anything. Um, but once I'd finished art college... Uh, which I'd gone into a degree, had a degree in animation. I walked out of our animation school was the top, not only in the country, but one in the one of a kind in the world. There was only wow. a few. Um, uh, we had John Lasseter came to visit us to try and gather people. And this was when he just started Toy Story. <clears throat> wow, um, wow. It was incredible. But the problem was we'd learned how to do everything on cell animation, on 35 mil, you name it. I could I could use a steam bag. I could splice my own work, um, do my own sound recording, everything. And the day I walked out of that college, a uh, computer came in. And oh, none of wow. us were prepared. You know, it was literally, it was, was, it, was 100%, knowledge. it was crazy. It was 100% success rate of jobs bef the, the, the year before us. And every one of us that walked out was like, Oh, we have to really rethink. And and there are some great people. I mean, that one of the guys in my class, um, Darren, he he went on to do. I mean, he did all the meerkat adverts. So you know, we've got you know some good animators yeah, real around. Success in there, yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. One of them runs. Uh, Carolina runs the uh, Animac, which is the Spanish uh, animation mm. uh, festival every year. So so we had really good students in that class, but it was just like it just kind of broke down in terms of what we were able so to do. Did mm. you not want to retrain or was it just like another long <laughs> You know, the funny training? thing was, I did start, I went on and did flash animation, but the funny thing was, my thing was, I don't want to sit in front of a computer. Right. Oh, I, okay. I just love the idea of hands-on and, and mm. I thought, oh, this would be dreadful to sit here day in, like day to out. feel the film and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. And lo and behold, <laughs> <laughs> my life is in front of a computer. Yeah. <laughs> but what, but what it's, it's a real kind of fork in the road moment, isn't it? I remember when what, my oldest lad, um, he studied mechanical engineering and we were going around universities and there was a, a guy who was a lecturer and he specialised in hydraulics. Mm -hmm. And it was a similar thing for him in that he um, qualified in hydraulics and literally within a few years everything went electrical. 
And he said, for a period, because of his niche knowledge, he was really in demand and it worked for him. But he said to the students, you've got to be really careful. And, and it's a shame back in your day, it wasn't identified soon enough to at least give you that that mm. kind of option. Um, because once it goes down <laughs> that route, it becomes digital. Yeah, well, you say identified. I remember them bringing in a camera that shot 25 frames per second. And it was a digital camera. And they went, look at this. By the way, nobody can touch it. Look at this. Just look. <laughs> it's so expensive. It was a mm. big, chunky thing. And I was just like, oh, we did a little bit on computer, but you have to bear in mind it was floppy disk at the time. Mm. So um, yeah, anybody that had done anything on computer, when John Laster walked in, he said, who's, who's touched a computer? And mm. uh, there was a, just one guy in the class that I was working with on the computer. And he said, he put his hand up. I said, well, come work for me. And he's like, well, I haven't finished my degree. And he said, no. So it was... Wow. You know, didn't we didn't know who he was. He yeah. didn't. He, all he'd done at the time, John Laster, all he'd done was the bounce and squash, which is the um, the ball and the... Um, the light. Light. The light. And that's the called bounce and squash. So it's bounce and squash. And that was a unique uh, thing to be able to do on a computer at the time. Wow. <clears throat> wow. It's funny, isn't it? That's so, so what would that be? 25 years ago? No, a bit old, longer than that. And some. Mm. 90, amazing, 92 I think yeah wow it's amazing how things years. have changed isn't it to where where we are now I mean when you watch kind of you know digital animation stuff now um, some of those kind of scene shots it's hard to tell whether it's real life yeah, or, yeah. or animated um, especially it's some true of it's games, true for us at the moment we look at it like that but then if you bear in mind you know 1930s and you had a model of you know Godzilla on the cat on the screen people mm. would have said the same thing to you That's and right. us looking yeah. back at the clay Godzilla you know stumbling yeah. around we think it's hilarious <laughs> but at that time people were equally as frightened when they saw these kind of things mm. uh, out of interest do you still even though it's it's your past when you watch something animated do you sort of look at it in a almost like with a critical eye or no or I never did I wasn't a good stuff? animator Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't, I really wasn't interested. The only reason why I went into animation was because another thing about our school system is that we go into, we're, we're funneled into career type uh, mm -hmm. colleges too early on. Yeah, and definitely. so I felt that I wasn't ready to do um, a specific art form. You know, when I came out of my art college, I wanted to do all art. I was still evolving. And they kept oh, saying, well, yeah. if you want to do a degree, you have to do photography or um, animation or film or textile or fine it's art. Very, very or, niche. It's so yeah. niche. And it's like, <clears throat> I've just discovered everything. Mm. And so animation was actually the only degree that allowed me to play still with clay at the same time, make a film, at the same time, use photography. Wow build things so it it incorporated any art form that i chose at that mm. time but actually it wasn't what i was hoping for i i mean i really wanted to just be an artist which in any medium and i didn't right. feel that um i definitely didn't get it in animation right yeah oh, it's a very interesting backstory in terms of kind of how that did sort of shape and impact mm. your future life and your professional career um, well, I'll tell you where it leads to. brilliantly into this career now is that in animation, I'm working with people's imagination, 
in animation, you work with the imagination, you work mm. with storytelling, you work with feeling, um, you know, what's the feeling of the character? You have to understand a character to, to develop a character. Mm. And when you're doing hypnotherapy, it's very, very similar. And I feel like I haven't actually moved artistic direction. I've just used a different tool, which is instead of my hands, oh, it's my mouth. And so when I'm working with somebody's mind, they're telling me a story and for me, I already interpret it into my own mind of what does that look like, feel like? And there's the story around it. So I'm really interested in the character and the characters that have made mm. up their story. So it's, I think it's very similar. It's interesting, that adaptation. Yeah. yeah it's like a, just a little tweak. But yeah, it's I'm, got interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought. I'd, I'd have never joined that do no, those dots together. Yeah. I'd have never thought of somebody who had that as an interest coming out of school, and now you're a professional career. And you've been a hypnotherapist since 2006, but worked in a sort of self-development field for for 15 yeah. years as well. Before before we get to that, um, you you now live in Indiana, although at the moment we're recording this, you're you're in London, as we found out before we started recording, just down the road from where our studio is. In fact, you're here. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, you, 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 you said in the details that you provide us with that, that, that it was a real kind of life change going to Indiana. So what, what did that look like from, from, from a girl who was kind of living in London to then going to Indiana? How, how different are they? What, what, how, what's that experience? I like? can't say I've adjusted um, and I've been there for a while. Um, it's, it's beyond different. I mean, I could say if you said to me, Sharon, go to the countryside in the UK, I could understand it and relate some way. But in Indiana, I feel... It's an extreme out-of-the-box experience. Um, you know, just... Every, I can't even begin to, to, to explain. Every detail of American life is different. What people see on the movies is, you know, when, when you think of America, you see New York, you see East Coast, or you see West Coast, or yeah. you see Florida. You have this kind of parts of the states that you see and then occasionally you see these really weird movies that mm. are set in some back of beyond odd place and you think that can't be real you know the place where somebody gets hidden away in a, somebody else's basement for 20 years well i've yeah. been to those places i mean <laughs> they exist and you just think yeah you could be in someone's basement and your neighbor would never know would never know uh, it's a very odd experience um these there are, I live in a place which is a college town. So essentially, I remember Indiana State for some reason. Right? A, I don't know, it must have been in a film or something, or has it like got a good football team or something? That's right. So there is a movie called Hoosiers or something like that, which is what you call an Indiana Indianaers. You don't call them that, you call them a Hoosier. Nobody right. actually knows the origin of that. Um but but the actual place is all I can say is think weird movie i live there <laughs> maybe not the hills have eyes type weird movie <laughs> uh, I don't, uh, and bear in mind no hills oh no right, hills. super flat, flat 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 and and we're talking about flat probably i mean indiana itself is about the size of the uk or size of wow. england i'd say Flip. wow so, so you know when i go traveling around and i want to get out of flat it's, you know, we, we've got a good two and a half hour, three hour drive. And we're talking right. about hundreds of miles because when we talk about driving the States drive, yeah. you know, I can do an hour drive and only end up in Gold is Green here. But yeah. um, from Finchley to go, mm. but in, in Indiana, you've you've literally crossed the country, you know. So. I had a friend who lived in Iowa 
And he was like, I said to him, so what do you do? He said, not much. And then <laughs> I said to him, so if you want to go and meet your friends, what do you do? He said, you have to drive an hour, he said, to find somewhere where you can all meet because it's convenient. Yeah. And you, for us in the UK, because obviously you, you come from the UK, it's a totally alien sort oh, of concept, weird. isn't it? It's, it's nuts. It is bonkers. Yeah. So, so you, you split your time between the UK and Indiana? Or yeah. Is it, is it unusual for you to be over in the UK? Do you enjoy it, Sharon? Uh, I l- which one? I love London. I, yeah. I'm a Londoner through and through. Uh, that's for yeah. sure. I, do you I like always, Indiana I, as well? No. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> My husband is so told me to stop saying that. <laughs> is your husband listening? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's around. I can see the benefits of being in a place like that. Mm. Um, one is there's no rat race. It's yeah. super calm. Um, traffic jam consists of maybe three cars. Um, you know, it's it's extremely chill. And as I say, where I live particularly, where it's Purdue University, we're in a bit of a pod um, in terms of when you're in a college town, all you experience is students every day, student life, a mm. lot of academia. So we've got incredible plays, musicals and lectures going on all the time. So I can be involved in a lot of interesting uh, experiences that way. On the other hand, it's it's a drive, you know, anywhere yeah. to yeah. Chicago is my local sort of <laughs> reality. I mean, L- how did London- you meet? Sorry, can I just ask a question? How did you meet your husband? So was he professor in of Indiana when he no. was there? <laughs> He's a traveller. He's a travelling type and I'm a traveller. I mean, that's where we really meet um, well together. And we actually met in Prague. And was he Indiana professor when you met? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been there 25 years. So he's a a professor of uh, biological sciences. Mm. Um, His his expertise in virology. So he actually teaches the COVID course over there. um, And he's expert in Ebola. So how how um, viruses get into cells is his his thing. But he's also I mean, he's we're flying around the Europe at the moment because he lectures specifically on scientific ethics as well. So um, oh. he um, he's one of these whistleblowers. He uncovers bad science. Oh, okay. So it's really interesting because obviously when COVID was, mm. you know, in full bloom, um, we, he was bombarded with every conspiracy theory going. Yeah. And he's able to discern what is a conspiracy theory? What is wow. the truth? Where mm. did this, where did these ideas come from? Who, yeah. ri- where did they originate from? And by the way, most of them were from the UK, uh, believe it or not. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting fact. Wow. Um, so there's been a, you know, people, the misunderstandings that people have come out and that people say, well, I'm a scientist, but people don't understand what that really mm. means. Mm. There's a scientist who, I think we mentioned just before we got on the call about PhDs and doctors. There yeah. are people who are really, you know, have you know i asked somebody in my f- career recently she had she had a phd and she'd written a book and named doctor such and such and i said oh where did you get your phd from she wouldn't answer you know so it's it's you know there are people around yeah, who've got you know yeah. wheedled their way in certain things you don't know exactly who's got what exactly right, yeah. yeah so have you got the inside track on where it all started then <sighs> yes <laughs> <laughs> But if you want to podcast with him on scientific ethics, <laughs> that'd be fascinating. Isn't it? That'd be a really interesting one. If he's up for it, I think. Oh yeah, he's totally. He's very, very. He's an incredible lecturer. I mean, it's you know what I what I learned during during the lockdown period. 
because of course I'm in the same room as him. Mm, yeah. um, we happen to be in lockdown for some reason. We, we were based in California at that point. Best place to be in lockdown, I have to say. Um, <laughs> had a great time. We hiked every every national park in the whole of Northern California. Wow. I've never Lovely. been fitter in my life. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Um, but yes, during that time, of course, he was doing his lectures and I sat in on them, essentially. So I learned so much about virology and, and COVID and, you know, uh, the politics about it, the history, the history of, of viruses, of the Black Death, the plague, you know, um, everything. I think for our, our audience, being medical based as dentists, yeah. I think it would be fascinating. Yeah. He might, it really he, is he, fascinating. I think he'd need to dumb it down definitely for us and turn it into layman's <laughs> layman's We can terms. ask basic, simple I was questions. Say, he could get very carried away, but I think people would find that really, really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great. It is. Yeah. It's a fascinating, fascinating uh, subject. When anyway, you, back you, to you, Shelley. Yeah, okay. but yes, <laughs> but back to you. So, you're you're a hypnotherapist and have been for for many years. Um, you operate um, in the medical field and in dentistry, and, and we, were, we were talking about how it'd be great if if there could be more embracing of that as a as a as a technique in dentistry. But just talk us through kind of how this came about and how and why you, you, you qualified and the differences between the medical profession and, and, and the I'm going to ask you a very trite question here. Is it a bit like when you go to a, you know, you go to a function and you, you're a dentist and people are going, oh, I've got a bit of a problem here or my foot. And when you say what you do, do people go, hypnotise me? Do they sort of do stuff like that? I So I get a, I get two two different versions of that. One is, can you do it right now? Can you do it now? You know, that's the first thing. <laughs> and and the next thing is the I've other already question. Done it. So so common question is, does that actually work? And I just think, oh, why would really? you ask somebody a question about their career? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm and, just blagging it. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and my answer used to be, no, no, I just do it and get loads of money for it. You know, I just like, why would you ask that question? But you know, but the question does still come mm. up. Does it work? And you just think to yourself, gosh, you know, people really have no idea about about what is the hypnotic state still. No idea. Wow. Um, uh, so I can explain that to you very quickly, if you like. But let's go back to the first question. How yeah, did sorry, I get yeah. into that? Um, so you mentioned the IHMDP. That was actually set up with myself and a colleague, Dr. John Butler. Don John Butler was uh, my teacher. And he trained with a guy called um, Gil Boyne. Gil Boyne, unfortunately, passed away not that long ago. But Gil, I actually got trained by Gil as well, luckily, at, towards the end of his life. But John Butler, um, he's a um, he's a neuroanatomist. He's a PhD um, psychotherapist. He's a wonderful teacher. And he and I, I went to one of his, I would say, early training. So I was one of his first sort of students that, that came out of his courses um and at the time john was very interested in surgery hypnosis for surgery and he happened to be doing i don't know if you remember this hypnosurgery five live there was a guy that was on tv that had a hernia operation to be done with no anesthetic so dale the name of the chap that was was the the victim um he used to come into to our course every other day or whenever um and just to practice you know just to get his mind prepared because it was mm. going to be filmed so there's a lot of pressure when you're doing yeah. that kind mm. of thing and so um john had him in and i was really curious about it you know 
I didn't really know what hypnotherapy was myself mm. at the time because I'm just studying. So I was just watching this process. But when it finished, I have a, a really good friend who happens to be a surgeon in Barnet. And he's turned around and he goes, oh, did you see that thing on Five Live? I said, yes. I said, um, he said, um, I've got a whole bunch of friends. Um, they're really interested. Can you teach them? And I thought, can I oh. teach them? I just walked out of the course. I, so I said to John, um, there's some surgeons that want to be taught. And he said, you know, I've always wanted to do this. Great, let's go in there. And, and you know, we had a big lecture at Barnet General and for um, a lot of heart consultants there, all, all kinds, you know. Uh, my friend happened to be a colorectal surgeon. And from there, we decided to set up the IHMDP, which is no longer exists because we became really busy with essentially marketing ourselves. And that was a thing. It was constantly writing articles mm -hmm. after article into every medical and dental magazine. So what happened from there was there was a day where I was doing a live show at the BDTA. And that's the British Dental Trade Association. Yeah. And they had this big bubble where we were offered a space to go in and do a live hypnoanalgesia uh, experience with with two clients, two patients. Wow. So I had the dentist ready. I knew the dentist. I'd been working with him already. I'd already had one of my fillings done, no anesthetic. So he was used to me doing this. I'd already done uh, four wisdom teeth extraction with another patient of his. And so I was working with this particular dentist a fair bit. So we went into the BDTA to do this process. John was meant to be there that day and I was going to probably do, you know, the talking and John was doing the hypnotizing or vice versa. We hadn't, hadn't decided. Anyway, I get a phone call from John that morning. I'm stuck in traffic. I can't make it. You, you just oh, no. start. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, I've got no choices. So, you know, the first, the first patient was there and I, I did well with her and I was both hypnotizing and doing the lecture at the same time. So you imagine there's mm. still video footage of me on YouTube doing this. And then I phone him up. I go, John, John, are you coming now? The next guy's coming. Are you coming? I'm still in traffic. He said, go on, you, you do it. And so again, second guy, the second guy was actually a phobic. I was so pleased he showed up. I didn't know he was going to show up because normally phobics don't show up. Yeah. Um, but he did. He was, he was actually a filmmaker as well as a film producer because it's from my previous life. And so he was, knew what I was doing. He said, right, I'll do it with you. So of oh. course he trusted me. So came to that and um, that was perfect. And then John said to me, Sharon, you know, you've done more dental hypnosis than anybody I know at this point um he said why don't you just carry on teaching the dentists so mm. I, I pretty much took that you know because he was so busy with his own school and he was a president of the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners so he had his, wow. his plate full so yeah. I started and he teaching. wasn't really stuck in traffic he was sitting there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know John was a great mentor whether he was stuck in traffic or not I yeah. mean it's it an interesting one isn't it, it was <laughs> you know talk about a good mentor to, to say, you know, you're ready for this. Yeah. So um, that was it. I, I sort of, okay, I'll just carry on with my dentist. And I just, you know, took the dentist. I started training people at uh, Portsmouth Dental Academy, which is part of Kings and Guys. Hmm. Um, and, you know, wherever people want me, I'll go into, I mean, while I'm here, I'm teaching a, a lovely, lovely pediatric dental company called the Toothberry in Richmond and I go there every six months or so and mm -hmm. I just you know I love the fact that a company will have me in because I know that every one of those people from reception through to hygienist 
on every level. They're all going to be on board. Mm. And so they have me in every six months just so that I can meet the new people, bring it, mm. bring it in refresh again it, yeah. and refresh mm. them memory and stuff. So, you know, that's what I do. I sort of go to company to company. But then I started my own school um, right. in lockdown because why not? Mm. Yeah. And, <laughs> and how and how is, is hypnotherapy adopted and accepted in dentistry mm, yeah. compared to say the medical profession or, or other professions is it is it embraced or is it is it it's kind of, sort of pushing pushing water up hill? you know that's a great question because i would say it's different overseas than it is here as in better over here it's better over oh, here so it's more it's, accepted here over here it's far better acceptance there are simple reasons for this if you have on your website hypnotherapy or we we offer hypnosis you're far more likely to get those phobics or high anxiety clients to walk through your door. Because those people realize that no matter what that is going to happen, they know that you are more on board with them mentally and emotionally. Whether they even know what hypnosis means themselves, it doesn't matter. They just know that the mm. dental company has, has taken their time to kind of understand that people have anxieties mm. and issues. Acknowledges mm. it. Yeah, the mm. acknowledgement is... Whereas if you go to the States, I'm where I live, you know, it's, it's sort of like, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in a very peculiar place. So it's, it's, it's almost like a no, no, the devil, the devil did this. But um, in other areas of, of, of the States, it's trickling in, but very, very slowly, Wow. very slowly. And and I think there's another issue in the States compared to the UK. In the States, they're really prepared to give you anesthesia for, for even teeth cleaning, anything. And they'll start wow. with kids. You know, they'll immediately inject a child um, to anesthetize their mouth before, so, so that they don't... And, and they've got so used to medicating their yeah. patients that the idea of not using medication almost seems too mystical and go unusual. back in time almost yeah mm. i suppose so, it's, it's just built into society that that's how you treat people yeah exactly and over here in the uk it's still not a thing in mm. such a way we're not thank god we're not sort of overly medicating everybody mm. yet um uh, i say yet because these things do fly over the water mm. um but sharon you said something that, sorry I just, mm. you, you mentioned earlier on that you had a filling without um and uh, you know that local anaesthetic and you uh, you on yourself so can you sort of uh, put yourself into a ah uh, oh, so you haven't watched my youtube channel okay no. so <laughs> <laughs> is the answer youtube sharon waxkirsch you will see so many videos on there of me doing hypnosis with others or other people um, having extractions of all kinds i actually have um two two on there i think of myself having two uh, extractions done by two different dentists so yeah wow. it's perfectly i mean perfectly possible to do self-hypnosis i actually have a course specifically for self-hypnosis there is a saying in the hypnotherapy world all hypnosis is self-hypnosis because essentially it's about you are you putting right. yourself into that state the difference between um most states are when you do hypnotherapy or hypnosis you kind of think someone else is doing it to you At, what they're doing is they're facilitating your ability to move into that state and they're facilitating it in a way that helps you maintain that state but essentially it's your choice 
it's always your choice. So on that basis, Sharon, oh. are some people resistant to it and it wouldn't work on them just because they've got a closed mind and they won't allow it to work on them? You know, I, watch my YouTube channel and you'll see that I've actually, I'm the first female in history um, to have hypnotised a dog for a hernia operation, no anaesthetic. So I always think, is there such a thing as resistance? Well, or that's interesting. It's a fascinating experience. I mean, you, you asked one of your questions, which you sent me in, in the in the email, what's the most interesting thing you've done or uh, something? Question. And, and actually, yeah. I think about it, that is probably the most unique thing I've done in the hypnotherapy world. So- Wow. So that, I mean, that must be, so is that like tone of voice then? I mean, that's a, because how do you get a dog to get? To... Well, this is, so again, I'm, I'm over in Purdue University area. We have one of the best veterinary schools in the world there. And my husband hopefully is, you know, is doing his best to kind of introduce, again, it's such slow process just mm. to kind of get people's awareness. Mm. I don't really, you know, I've had people who will come to me and they will teach me how to do this. I don't want to teach how to do this simply because we don't have enough research on it. And until there's the research done behind it, I feel I feel it would be unethical to start explaining how to do this. Yeah. And I'd like to see more research. But I have to say that when we, you know, we were in a, it was in, done in a veterinary school at the time. And I had a number of vets around me, of course. You can imagine that the, uh, the room was filled Intrigue, up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a very exciting experience. And, you know, we measured the dog's heart rate, the dog's responses. Um, it, there wasn't a peep out of this dog. There wasn't a grizzle, a moan, a whine. The dog had identical responses as humans do um, in terms of and, and if you watch the video it's, it's absolutely fascinating I, say I feel I'm um, going to have to go and watch that video yeah. like those YouTube <laughs> rabbit holes you go down yeah well just, uh, just subscribe um, so yeah we'll put the link in the show notes yeah, yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a really interesting it had all the same responses as as a human does when they are just in that state of I'm having a surgery done and and therefore my frame of mind is on board with it. So when you talk about resistance, I think it's less of a resistance, it's more of an inhibition. Yeah. And so therefore somebody kind of can feel like, you know, Mm. really you know they, there's another saying in in hypnosis fear is the enemy of hypnosis but i also don't believe in that because i believe when i've had people come and i've taught this to my students everyone's frightened when they go into surgery mm. yeah so, no one goes Woo-hoo. yeah right so there's not a single person that doesn't kind of think to themselves oh you know what am i doing will i be safe am i going to be okay mm. so if you allow that as part of the process then the hypnosis becomes very easy. So mm. I had a lovely client, little girl actually, um, I think she was about seven years old and she was having no anaesthetic for some teeth removal. And so what we did, she, you know, what I did with her is like, have a screen before we do anything. So she'd scream before any tooth was pulled. Then the tooth was done, no scream, no, no pain, nothing. And then she's like, is it done yet? Yep, yeah, done. Next one, yeah, have a scream. She gave a scream. I said, good, let's do it again. So it was just allowing that, that emotional kind of whoa let go experience and i tell you something whenever you've done something with hypnosis on this level you walk out of there high as a kite 
I mean, mm. you, no drugs. You don't need any drugs to be in hypnosis. It is, you know, I get people off of drugs because I can say to them, whatever you have attained with whatever drug you have had, you can get that with hypnosis because yeah. hypnosis can only tap into what you already have. Mm. And mm. the drug can only tap into what you already have. It's not so going to do something that you so, haven't got. So the inhibition is the, the barrier to it working well. Does it work better? Is it easier to hypnotize children than adults? No. And again, it is funny because people always say it's easier to do hypnosis with kids. You know, mm. children are in a, when you're in that state, so ch children are in the state from the age of zero to six. And you guys have got kids. So if you remember your kids when they're around six years old, seven years old, they were really challenging at that point. Six, seven years old, they know everything. And that's mm. because their conscious critical mind has started to kick in. So up until that age, they're absorbing, 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 get to the age of six or seven, and suddenly they are critically evaluating life around them and trying to connect what goes where. You know, the yes, no, good, bad, right, wrong, and they're sort of pocketing it. So when you're working with kids, they still have that critical mind open, but it's not so developed. So therefore, if you're still got young kids and you're saying, right, you can do this, they'll go, oh, yeah, I can. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to hypnotize them easier, in any way mm. easier, but they're much more open to bypassing that critical right, yeah. faculty. However, if the parent is in the room, very often the parent, they look to the parent to see how should they respond. Mm. If the parent is responding in a way of fear, they will also respond mm. in a way. And yeah, then you, can, you know, so... Sometimes it's not easier to work with kids just because of the situation and circumstances around them where they're reliant on what the other person's response is. Wow. Right, yeah. Anyone hypnotised any other animals? Yeah. Um, you can actually hypnotise sharks, chickens, which is where it comes from, by the way. Chickens? Yeah. So you remember everybody always says, oh, can you, you know, if you make me, you're going to make me into a chicken. There's virtually, no, that was, you know, I had this at a, a doctor's office once that I gave a whole lecture about hypnosis for um, eczema and, and all this. And then they said, the have question. you ever hypnotized a chicken? And I said, do you have many chickens coming to your doctor's surgery? But I'll tell you where this comes from. Um, <laughs> where this actually comes from is the first person to ever record the state of trance. Remember, it wasn't called hypnosis at that point, was a man... Um, called Father Kircher, um, who realized that if you draw a chalk line or a line by a chicken's beak, put their head down, they'll stay, stay, stay still. Oh, I, I saw something on a video recently. You'll see the people do yeah, it. Yeah, it was of nuts. Things. It was yeah. bonkers. Right, so so all animals have that that cataleptic process. That that And that's why I say about the dog, I would like to do more research because I don't know, you know, what the state of mind body is people mm. say well that dog must have been in such fear that that's what it's doing but if it was in fear the heart rate would have been different it was so relaxed mm. so again there's a difference between that state of mind what it does is it shifts our perception of what's going on mm. our needs and wow. therefore doing hypnosis for any kind of surgery to me i always trust my patient always trust my patient because their brains will shift to what their needs are and I'm just facilitating that process. And that's what the dentists can do. They can just facilitate the process. They don't actually have to do that much. What they what they tend to do that takes the person away from that state 
is asking them about their pain level or asking them, um, how does this feel? Or you will feel this or you will feel that. Well, you're then having to tell that person while they're in a highly suggestible state what they're going to feel and how it's going to how they should respond to that. And guess what? They're going to respond, but they're going to interpret it in their mind from whatever their their experiences have been and their perceptions have been. So if you tell somebody, I'm just going to give you a scratch for an injection, I don't know why mm. they use that term, a scratch. It never feels like a scratch. Yeah. I know what a scratch feels like. Having an injection does not feel that way. But you tell them it's that. And then, of course, their perception is, no, it doesn't. It feels like when I was a child, I had some nasty person mm. dig me with, and then they go off there. Right. So don't tell okay. them what to yeah. feel. Yeah. Because you're you're tapping into their perception. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a fascinating whole. Yeah, uh, yeah. And for for kind of dentists and dental practices, what what are the the wider benefits beyond being able to kind of treat those nervous patients or those patients that might be dental phobic or reducing the need for for medication? Are are there other benefits that? Oh, the the benefits outweigh. You know, it's funny because I give such a short training, and it's so the value that you get for this training in terms of financially is, you know, is huge. You know what you get for this. So, whenever the first thing I always ask when I give a lecture is, put your hands up. How many of you? treat phobic patients and everybody's hand goes up and I say, you don't phobics don't come in the door <laughs> they don't you get a high anxiety patient but you don't get a phobic to get a phobic you'd have to drag them out of their house first so you know the first person mm. that needs to help them is the receptionist right yeah now mm. if i teach the receptionist how to use certain language and and what to do for that patient then that's the first step that they may, may walk into the door. Mm. All that equipment that that dentist has bought goes to nothing mm-hmm. if you can't get someone in your door. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. doesn't matter yeah. how brilliant you are. Mm. Yeah, the so other part yeah. of it is once you have somebody that has come to you who maybe was a high anxiety and has lowered their anxiety due to the way you speak to them, the way you work with them, they are going to make multiple referrals. You are the dentist to be seen. So then you've got a whole bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, you might be working with more anxious people <laughs> initially, but you'll get loads more. Mm. So that in itself. The other part of it is you are calmer as a dentist yeah. because your patient is more compliant. When you have somebody in a hypnotic state, they are super compliant. They relax, they lie down, they might even feel as though they're going to sleep. Now you might say, oh, I've got lots of patients that go to sleep. Maybe they put themselves into that self-hypnotic state Mm. automatically. That's fine. But what about the ones that don't, who are sitting Mm. there gripping the handles, who are trying to breathe, who have gag reflex, who Mm. have have bad hygiene, uh, you know, practices? Mm. You want them to start to... You can hypnotize them into doing that. And I suppose also, though, if you're you're hypnotizing a patient, then does it follow that you yourself are then 
becoming more relaxed because you've got to be relaxed <laughs> to be able to hypnotize your patient because you can't be stressed to try to hypnotize them. So, 100%. so, you, so you have the benefit of not mm. only working on a, a, a relaxed patient, but you sort of relax yourself because you're allowing yourself to be relaxed. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's like got to be a bonus. I was as well, say, isn't it just it, sounds really? like a much calmer surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than freaking out and chasing your tail. Yeah. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, a lot of a lot of dentists suffer a lot with back pain from hunching over. Um, you know, the, the position that a dentist finds himself in is very uncomfortable on the mm. most part. And so when using hypnosis for themselves for pain control or to ease up some of these muscles, it's 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 a no brainer on so many mm. levels. I mean, I had I went to one dental practice and they said, could you just help us with our cookie addiction? I said, why have you got cookie addiction? Well, of course, all the patients used to give them cookies post, uh, you know, post surgery. Oh, so happy. Thank you very much. And they much, were just yeah. piling up and all the all the dental nurses and the team was stuffing themselves. So I actually did a whole weight loss program for them. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Really bigger doors. <laughs> so, but in, in most, it, it, financially, it works out brilliantly. And I often say, if you teach this, it, once I teach a, a, a dental practice, and I always prefer them to bring in as many colleagues as they can, mm. as I say, from receptionist right through, um, you know, forget all this hierarchy stuff, because I tell you, your patient is the one who is not interested in that. They just want to be able to get through the door. Mm. When yeah. you start doing this as a, as a as a core part of your practice, you can then actually have um, special session days where you only invite the phobic people to come just to walk into the door and say we're having a tea reception just to meet us because you don't realize that these people who are phobic they have a they have a fear of the dentist the dentist mm. not even necessarily the process they there's often have had some problem in their past yeah from some kind of difficult dental mm. practitioner unfortunately wow what does what does success look like for you, Sharon? I feel like success is is um, every patient walking out with a smile. You know that to me is success, and I also feel success is with my students that they mm. are really fantastic in that they they're now taking that leap to become medical and dental hypnotherapists. There are very few of us who do this, and my my hope is that the more I can train to do it in a practical way, not just theoretical, but mm. practical, they can then go to the big wide world and then talk to other dentists and, and surgeons, anaesthetists, etc. Mm. So, um, you know, that's what I'd love to see. Mm. I, I, I sense uh, a frustration on your part that it's all a bit slow. You know, it's been slow since I think 1700. Right, yeah. So it's, it's had a long run up, hasn't it? It's not likely going to speed up, is it? <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's there have been the history of hypnosis has had such a clash with the medical world because of the mm. misunderstandings. There are mm. really great neurologists now. Um, there's a guy, actually, a British guy, who's in the states working on neurology of hypnosis for pain control, Mark Jensen, and you know, we're finding out more and more material. But even he says for his own research he won't have any answers until the next three years um mm. as to how it works and why mm. so you can imagine you know 200 years ago when this was 
this this was the only form of anesthesia for mm. some time. Right, yeah. People think Derren Brown though, don't they? I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? That they they think you're going to make them cluck like a chicken, or mm. you know. Eat well, Derren Brown is. Have you watched his stuff lately? Actually, brilliant. I mean, I, 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 you know, his combination between mentalism, magic, and hypnosis is absolutely wonderful. So it goes two ways. You've got the the people who are the mentalists and and, and the Darren Browns of the world. Um, and they really show how the mind can be mi- manipulated mm. for good or bad, either way, or for fun mm. or whatever. And then you've got, you know, a lot of hypnotherapists who have no idea what they're doing as well. Mm. And they've been badly right. trained. Um, okay. They have done very short trainings. There's no regulating system in the world at this present time. Oh, really? There's no um, regulation on it? Wow. Yeah, so no regulation. Ooh. So, you know, I could teach you on this podcast and say, I'll give you a certificate. Essentially, you're allowed to rock up and start. Mm. and as i imagine you can uh, and i don't know but is it one of those ones that you can if you do it wrong you could do some damage to people or is that sort of like a little bit dramatic it's kind of dramatic i mean you know i wouldn't say you can do it wrong during surgery i think there's there's it's it's harder when you're dealing with somebody for therapy right because you don't, but then any therapist can say the wrong word at the wrong mm. moment, at the wrong time, yeah. and evoke mm. a wrong emotion or an unwanted emotion or something mm. like that. So yes, there is there is always that. Mm. Um, but I do feel that if you haven't had a really good training, um, you certainly it's going to come across. It's it's you know you're you're going to be sort of not so confident yourself. Mm. about how to you know work this into the system with other people it's not it's not that there's a wrong thing but um i mean usually the worst thing that can happen in hypnosis is that you get a good rest you know (laughs) (laughs) well it's not that bad is it really i was gonna say if if that's if that's the biggest downside as long as there's no trigger word that suddenly you turn around and turn into a baboon or something (laughs) so again People will do that for stage, but the brain will allow it to happen for a very short period of time. Ah, okay, that's right. interesting. So they'll play along with it, knowing that it's a short, it's it's a very temporary. Experience. So what your brain will let you do that, and then it's sort oh, of yeah. after a while it goes, ah, for goodness' sake, well, that's I rubbish. Want, you know, I don't want nonsense. to be a chicken. Yeah. That's interesting. The brain's a powerful thing. It's amazing. It's incredible. Far more powerful than we even realize. Far more powerful. Yeah. I mean, I've worked Shat. with people with strokes and, and um, you know, uh, Parkinson's and, or, you know, special needs. And my experiences have just been mind boggling with these people, you know, how we're transferring. Achievable. It's incredible. Transferring different thought patterns to where it can land rather okay. than where it's not landing. It's a bit, wow. it's a bit, bit left field. Is, is there any evidence that it, it helps people with spinal cord injuries, or is that is that an area that's not been explored? So <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from. That's a really interesting question because it's something my brother and I are really interested in. He is an inventor, and he invented something for VR called the Roto. Um, and what what I'd like to do is use that machine to with hypnosis and find if there's a way to use that for people with spinal injuries that's what we've been talking about that exact discussion last week it's only because a good, we've got a a good friend. yeah a good friend of ours um had a an accident a few years ago now 
um he i think it was at c he had a break at c5 um and he's he's exploring anything and everything to give him the best outcome and recovery possible well um, bring him along because we want to we we you know it's an experiment at this point but yeah. if you know it's a question of you know how does the body heal and um, we know with hypnosis the body heals incredibly in fact the body heals six times faster using hypnosis for any surgery right that's mad that is mad so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I had, I had, you, I had some you. spinal work done. I had, um, I had a bit of a bad surgery um, some years ago, and I used hypnosis not for the actual surgery. They wouldn't let me. They said, Sharon, if you breathe in the wrong way, you, you know, you've got fifty-fifty whether you're going to walk again or not. Anyway, so they said we're not doing this without anaesthetic. And I said, fine, I'm, you know, that's fine by me. Mm. I said, but do not give me any morphine, any painkillers, nothing. And so I came out of that surgery. I used hypnosis as my sole painkiller and absolutely fine. You know, it. I didn't need anything. And then, of course, I remember I still had no sensation in my toes. And I said to one of the, the registrars, I said, look, I, he said, how's your legs? And I said, well, I don't feel anything in my toes still. And he said, um, he said, well, that may never happen or, you know, give it 10 years. I said, I'll have it done by the morning. So, and that's what I did. I just put my mind to it and got it done by wow. the morning. So, wow, amazing! But Obviously, that was me a, thinking of the Quentin Tarantino topic. film, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Get your toe to move. Toe. Yeah, 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 that's what I did. That's exactly what I did. And the power of the mind—it doesn't have to be logical. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love. It's playful. We can mm. really use. Okay, I've got a movie in my head. Let's go for it. Yeah, I can introduce you to my daughter. With her chronic pain syndrome. Yeah. Oh, she has. Well, is it chronic regional pain syndrome? Uh, yeah, sort of like everywhere. So she has loads of uh, different injections and. Uh, oh, she's my perfect. She's my typical client. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's like I say. I, I, I think that bit of business. I, I think so. It's been a massive education. I think it has it been brilliant. It's, actually, it's, yeah, it's really good. Really absolutely good. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, what we'll do is, I mean, not 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 joking. We should definitely put the the link to a YouTube channel in the show notes. And if there's any other resources that would be useful mm. for dentists to find out more about what you do, if you could let us have those, and we'll drop those in the show notes because. There are lots of dentists who are aggressive. I, I know yeah. practice owners who specialise in looking after your nervous, anxious, phobic type patients, and I'm sure they'd be interested to find yeah. out more about it. It's I been think, what, it I think what they like cranky to mainstream, isn't it? That's yeah. the problem: is people perceive yeah. it as yeah, they perceive it. But actually, what I'm doing with most dentists is just tweaking what they already know. Mm. Um, so I'm just giving them a little bit more information mm. as to why or how. They're, what they already do is probably perfect and I don't like to change what people do because I don't mm. like people to think oh god I've got to relearn something and doing it all wrong mm, and yeah. what I see is that well let me see what you are doing and let's just use that to the best of its ability mm. rather than trying to make you change completely because it, most people are doing things fairly well mm. but they could be doing it a lot better sure especially yeah. if they want to do things with no anesthetic mm. yeah yeah mm. Brilliant. Sharon, it's really been good. it's been absolutely fascinating. Honestly, um, we need to wrap it up, but only for time because yeah. I could sit and chat to you all day. Honestly, it's fascinating. on again. I'll do yeah. that. Part two. Yeah, and and it may well be that we do. You know, we get feedback from people that listen to the podcast, and it might be there is a is a need for you know for more information yeah. or something different or separately we maybe hypnotize someone on the hypnotize someone on a podcast exactly exactly well, i do that so. pretty regularly. I mean, most of because I'm in Indiana, I'm doing hypnosis all the yeah, time on Zoom. Fascinating. Yeah. 
We we always wrap up with We're our definitely guests. Gonna watch the dog. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. It's got the dog thing. We, oh, you the moment you watch that, you'll say, "Right, we're having her back again." The <laughs> questions that you'll have from that will That'll be, be yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. The, the dog whisperer. Yeah. Um, we <laughs> we always wrap up in pond. the same way, and we ask our guests the same two questions. And the first question we have for you: If you could be a fly on a wall in a certain situation, when would that be, and who would you be with? So, um, if I could be a fly on the wall, I think. I think I'd like to be about 300 or so years into the future. Um, I would really like to see how the world has progressed, changed. You know, as I say, hypnosis <laughs> has taken 200 years or so <laughs> to get to where we are, <laughs> or plus, and some. Um, I mean, actually, it can take you right back to the sleep temples. It goes back thousands of years. But um, I'd like to see where we are as humanity, what we're doing, how we're changing, how we've evolved, if we even do. I mean, that to me, so it's not <laughs> really circum do, yeah. a mm. circumstance. It's not like anything special, any animal anywhere. I mean, I'd just like to, to be in the world or on another planet, wherever we are, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Who would I like to be with? I guess it'd be, be my husband because he's so interested and he's so interested in, in, in history as well. Um, he's absolutely incredibly knowledgeable man so i'd like yeah. you know just having him on my side is really helpful right yeah i can imagine it's like, he's, imagine. he's basically my walking google um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um ask him any question and he'd definitely know the answer um oh. so that's Next that we're doing a zoom like pub being. quiz i know he's in my team exactly <laughs> he, he, he'd be the guy for your phone a friend yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's so this is the funny thing he's an american and so of course when i took him over to England I said to him right we've got to do pub quizzes because I'm like the guy's a genius we'll do pub quizzes but what happens at pub quizzes pop music and sport the two things that he's just not interested in <laughs> <laughs> so on the, on the top on the tiebreaker really obscure tiebreaker he's your man it's <laughs> very true isn't it in a pub quiz so if you could mention the uh, Babylonians yeah from... <laughs> right exactly and the funny thing what is, is I... the most famous building they built <laughs> yeah he'd tell you he'd tell you right now yeah. um yeah, so we, we are great on the pub quizzes when it comes to the history. So we get really high scores when it's all about history, politics, um, especially American politics. I mean, he's also yeah. a politician as well. He's uh, just run for state senate over in... Oh, wow. <laughs> but who was in the spy scales? He falls down on that one. No <laughs> idea. <laughs> 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 well, we've all got to be good at different yeah, things, anyway, which is boring for all the same. And our and our and our last question is: if you could meet somebody um, living, they're no longer with us. Yeah, even real, a fictional yeah, character. Yeah, fictional. Who, who would you like to meet, given the chance? I think at the moment, my dad just died fairly recently, and I think I'd oh, actually so. like to meet my dad and just say to him what on earth were you thinking with the inheritance? And then, then <laughs> and then the next thing. <laughs> oh, great question. Brilliant. Oh, dear. And then the next Have you never heard of a trust? <laughs> right. And then the next thing I'd say to him is, what's heaven like? I'd love to, I'd love to have mm. uh, some knowledge about something more outworld outer worldly i think it'd be really interesting if there is such a thing interesting that's the know. second question yeah yeah that was a follow-up <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the primary it yeah. wasn't about the inheritance what's all that about well my dad always used to joke to me he said you know when i'm dead i'm gonna have to put a cash point machine on my on my uh gravestone, <laughs> gravestone. <laughs> 
Oh, very good. Brilliant. Very good. Brilliant. Sharon, it's been a it's been an absolute joy. Yeah, it's lovely. been really, really, really enlightening. We 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 said when we started it was going to be a bit different. Definitely and, and more than twelve minutes. I was gonna say you yeah, you ticked the box for it being a bit different for sure. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and like I say, I'd encourage people to explore it more. It sounds like a fascinating. Yeah, it's subject. fascinating. Uh, it's a fascinating subject, isn't it? Really, that sort of is not really thought about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So brilliant. do think about it and tell you and listeners. You know, I'd love to hear any of your questions, whether it comes through Andy and Chris or just through myself through my own website. Just you know, ask away. I'm always open to chatting and stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Lovely. Appreciate your time today, Sharon. Yeah, thank Look you, Sharon. Yourself. Thank you very keep, much. Keep well. It's great. Pleasure. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.